See in the house of the Lord this evening. Let's go to Nahum. Nahum chapter 1. That's in the white pages in your Bible. Mandy, that's in the Old Testament. <laughs> Nahum chapter 1. And I'm going to read the first seven verses. The burden of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite. God is jealous, and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great power. He will not at all quit the wicked. The Lord will hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebuketh the sea, maketh it dry, and drieth up all the rivers. Bashan, Bashan languisheth, and Carmel, and the flower of Lebanon languisheth. The mountains quake at him, and the hills melt, and the earth is burned at his presence. Yea, the world and all that dwell therein. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can abide? In the fierceness of his anger, his fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. I talk about this message tonight, our great God, and I want to look at three things that our God is great in as we consider these first seven verses of Nehemiah. Chapter 1. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to open your precious word tonight. We thank you that our God is great, that he is good, uh, that he is great in power, and Father, in knowledge of us. And I pray that as we look into the word of God, we be encouraged and strengthened, that you would speak to our hearts, uh, Father, uh, uh, that you would just work in our lives and reveal things to us, everything that we need to change. So just have your will and way, and may we be uh, submissive and uh, seeking your, your help tonight. And may you be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 145, verse 3 says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. It's unsearchable. The word great means, in this passage in Psalm 145, means large in magnitude and extent, in number, in intensity, in sound. You know, the, the Lord thundered his voice from Sinai. Uh, in importance, you know, our God is great. We would say he is mega. You know, he is a great God. And we see several things in this passage of Scripture I want to look at tonight. Three things in particular. Uh, the Lord is great in goodness. Verse 7 says the Lord is good. He is great in power. Uh, in, in um, yeah, I lost my, lost my, uh, verse, oh, verse 3, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. He's also great in knowledge. Verse 7 again says he knoweth them in him. So as we think about 
the greatness of our God. And first of all, the great, the Lord is great in goodness. Verse 7 says the Lord is good. You know, he, he, he kind of, you think about the, the things he's just said, and a lot of what he's just spoken about, Nahum the prophet, is judgment. And then he turns around and says the Lord is good. The Lord is good. So the goodness, that word good, you know, I looked it up in the lexicon, and Strong's gave this definition. Beautiful, best, better, bountiful, cheerful, at ease, fair, in favor, fine, glad, good deed, goodlier, goodliest, goodness, Graciously, joyful, kindly, kindness, loving, merry, most pleasant, pleaseth, pleasure, precious, prosperity, sweet, welfare, wealth and welfare or well-favored. Wouldn't you like to say you're all those? But when the Bible talks about the Lord being good, in fact, if you have a, if you have a Webster's, well, it's an 1828 dictionary, I think it is. I would encourage you to go to that dictionary and look up the definition of the word good. I think it's four pages, if I remember correctly. The adjectives, trying to, Webster trying to define what good means as it relates to God. As it relates to God. Is it any wonder that Jesus said to the, good, or the rich young ruler, there is one good, that is God. There is one good. The Lord is good. He is good. He is, several things here, He is long-suffering. Verse 3 said, The Lord is slow to anger. And that, that, that word there, slow, means really long-suffering. He's not quick to be angry. He's slow. Exodus 34, 6, The Lord passed before Him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth. Nehemiah 9.17, Nehemiah spoke to the children of Israel and says, And he refused, they re, though they refused to obey, neither were mindful of thy wonders as thou didst among them, but hard their necks, and in their rebellion appointed a captain and returned to the bondage. But thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and forsookest them not. Now, if you were leading an army of people, into a promised land or promised reward, and they decide, this is too difficult, we're all going back. What would you do with them? Go ahead. Help yourself. But he didn't forsake them. He didn't forsake them. He took their children in. He took their children in. Psalm 103 the scripture passage we're memorizing, Psalm 103, verses 1 through 8, talks about much about the goodness of the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all His benefits. And he starts listening. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, you know, salvation. Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things. So that the youth is renewed like the eagles. 
The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known His ways unto Moses, His acts unto the children. Aren't you glad that God has made His way to know Him known to us? He's made it known to us. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. Nahum 1 verse 2 says that He he reserveth wrath for His enemies. His enemies. You know, God is a God of holiness, a God of justice, a God of righteousness. He's also a God of wrath. But that wrath is reserved or kept. That's the idea of the word reserve. Kept for His enemies. Which, that's their choice. And it's interesting, the word wrath here in this verse is in italics. So really, you could, you could read it this way. It's, 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 it, you know, the English translators added words sometimes to complete sentences and to make it sense in English, but there wasn't a word here in Hebrew is why it's in italics. So the Hebrew would have said it something like this, but it would have taken for granted that we understood what was saying, the Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserveth it for his enemies. So he reserves his vengeance, his, his, his righteous indignation is reserved, reserved, his vengeance is reserved for his enemies, not on his own people. His righteous indignation will be poured out on our enemies. Second Thessalonians, Paul spoke of this in Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Verses 6 through 10. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, and to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel. In other words, they haven't submitted to the gospel of Christ. Obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power, when He shall come to be glorified in His saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. So God's going to take wrath. He's going to take, have, take out His vengeance on them that obey not the gospel, that believe not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, will not receive the gospel. Chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, verses 8 and 9. Let us, who are of the day, in other words, that's speaking of those who are saved, let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the blessed breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath. He reserved His wrath for His enemies. Not His own. You know, by our standards, you and I would have judged Lot, an enemy of God. But the Bible tells us in Peter that that just man vexed his righteous soul from day to day. And Genesis tells us that God was merciful to him. Genesis 19.16, when he told Lot to get out of the city of Sodom to flee, him and his, him and his wife and their two daughters, and they lingered, and God was so merciful because Lot was a safe man that when they lingered, the men laid hold upon him by the hand and his wife by the hand and his daughters by the hand and said, come on, get out of here. 
Now, why'd they do that? Because God does not pour out his wrath on his own. And Lot, as worldly as he was, was a child of God. But God would not overthrow Sodom and Gomorrah until Lot was out. Was out. And set forth of that city. You know, and we, and we see the goodness, this goodness and graciousness of God over and over in the Bible. How many times was the Lord merciful to Saul? You know, one time he went, he went searching for David and he ended up down at the priest and the priests were all prophesying and, they, and, and Saul sits down and, and prophesies among them all night long. Twice, David could have killed him. And he admitted he was wrong. You think, hey, is God trying to say something to you, Sarah Saul? But it seemed to go, You know, how good God was God to Pharaoh? Each plague was another warning. Repent. Repent. He had time after time after time. Opportunity, we would say, opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. You know, I don't care what the Calvinists say, Pharaoh had a lot of opportunities to repent. He chose not to. You know, sometimes God brings hardship, disappointments, trials into a person's life to get their attention. That's the goodness of God. They preach the word to, to warn. But scorners ignore and mock or blame. You know, uh, Psalm 120, or not Psalm, Proverbs 122. How long, ye simple ones, will you love simplicity? And scorners delight in their scorners, and fools hate knowledge. Romans 2 4. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, knowing not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth you to repentance. You know, it is the goodness of God to us that brings us to salvation. Titus 3, 4, and 5 says, But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works as righteous as we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, by washing of regeneration renewing the Holy Ghost. See, it's the kindness and love of God And God is gracious and long-suffering. He doesn't upbraid us. You know, James 1.5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God to give to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, shall be given. The word upbraid there means to rail on. Or to cast favors in one's teeth. In other words, God doesn't say, After all that I have done for you, and you act like this. Yeah, he could have, the, the, the angel Lord could have said to, to Lot, you know, look at all we're doing for you. And just left him. But he didn't do that. You know, Jesus could have said to the rich young ruler, after all I've done for you, and you're just going to walk away. But you know, God doesn't treat us like that. 
God loves us and allows us to choose to follow Him. He is good. He is kind. He is benevolent. He simply says, Come to me, and he that cometh to me, I will no wise cast at. See, our Lord is great in goodness. He's also great in power. You know, that speaks of large, number, intensity, great in power. Verse 7 says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knoweth them that trust in him. Verse 3, The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. Great in power. You know, he has, he has power to judge the wicked. Verse 3, or verse 2 through 8 says, God is jealous and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries. He reserveth fat wrath to his enemies. You know, this is, a, this is a prophecy concerning Nineveh. And you remember what God did for Nineveh? Jonah? God was merciful to them, but that didn't last long. Unfortunately, it didn't last long. And now God's prophesying judgment because of their rebellion and wickedness against Him through Nineveh, or through uh, uh, Nahum. And He said, you know, God is a jealous God. And He will revenge. He will take vengeance on His adversaries. He reserveth wrath for His enemies. You know, He is, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power, will not at all acquit the wicked. He's not going to uh, uh, justify the wicked. The Lord hath his way, in, and he begins to list some things that the Lord uses in judgment. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebuketh the sea and maketh it dry, drieth up all the rivers. Bashan languisheth, and Carmel, and the flower of Lebanon languisheth. The mountains quake at him, and the hills melt. You know, sound like volcanoes. The earth is burned at his presence, yea, the world and all that dwell therein. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can abide the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is good, stronghold in the day of trouble. He knoweth them that trust in him. You see, God has power to judge the wicked. God controls the elements and, and, and will use them many times to judge wicked men. Again, the plagues in Egypt. The plagues in Egypt. You're the mighty Nile River. Turn to blood. Everything in it dies. By the way, they worshipped that Nile River. And there was plague after plague after plague, and, 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 and all these many of these things had to do with, with animal life and the elements there in Egypt, and, and then they finally let the, the people go, and, and so they they go after them. Uh, it, to the Red Sea, and then there's a dense fog, or a cloud. A cloud that comes between them. When the British had Washington's men penned down on Brooklyn Heights, I believe it was, they were surrounded, trapped. It was surrender or die. For some reason, General Howe stopped the advance that day. So Washington began a retreat across the river to Manhattan. Every boat was summoned. And through the night, 
cannon. Men started burying across the river in the, under darkness. But dawn was coming. And there were still men to get across the river. And all of a sudden, a dense fog rolls in. And that fog stayed until the last man was across the river. See, God has his way in the whirlwind, in the clouds. He can, use, he can use hailstones to defeat the enemies of his people. During one of the battles with the Canaanites, there was more people killed by hailstones than Joshua and his men killed. He can send an angel of the Lord to slay 185,000 Assyrians in one night. Or he can put blinders on those from Damascus who are after Elisha and have them led right to the city of Samaria. He can fill ditches with water when Jehoshaphat and the king of Israel and, and the king of Edom went to fight with the Moabites and, 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 and they were in a bad situation, there was no water. So they went to Elisha. And Elisha said, you dig ditches. And in the morning, there's going to be water. These places are going to be filled with water. And in the morning, the ditches were full of water and the Moabites looked out there and in the morning sun looked like water, ditches filled with blood and they said, Moab to the spoil. They thought the Israelites had been slaughtered. Turned out to be an ambush. I think it was AD 79, city of Pompeii in Italy, city given over to all kinds of sexual perversions, was buried by volcanic ash. You see, God is of great power, and He has power judge the wicked. But he also has power to deliver his own. Again, verse 7 says, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. That word stronghold has the idea of like a fortress. He's a fortress. An impenetrable fortress. In 2 Peter 2.9 says, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. And here's the opposite. And to reserve the unjust until the day of judgment to be punished. Second Samuel 22.33 says, God is my strength and power. He maketh my way perfect. Now that was David. David the giant killer. David, the great warrior, the king of Israel, and he says, God is my strength. God is my power. He also said, The Lord is my light and salvation. Of whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is their strength. He is the saving strength of His anointed. Jeremiah in Jeremiah 16, 19 says, O Lord, my strength and my fortress and my refuge in the day of affliction. The Gentiles shall come unto thee from the ends of the earth and shall say, 
Surely our fathers have inherited lies, vanity, and things wherein there is no profit. You know, Jeremiah knew that Israel, Judah, was doomed to the judging hand of God. But he also understood that God was his strength and his fortress. And he'd be delivered as he was in the day of judgment. See, God is our fortress. He's our stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows how to deliver us out of temptation, trials, tests. You know, to me it's kind of interesting. You remember when Abraham went to Egypt the first time? What did he do there? Did he tell the truth? He lied. Who got plagued for it? You ever think about that? Who got plagued for it? Did Abraham get plagued for it? No. Now he got rebuked for it. Pharaoh rebuked him, and deservingly so. But he didn't get plagued for it. Pharaoh did. You God will protect His own. You may get rebuked for it, but He'll protect you. Now, I'm not saying Abraham got away with it. There were consequences to his going to Egypt. Hagar. There was, a, there was hardship brought into his life because of going to Egypt. He got Hagar in Egypt. But see, the Lord does. He is a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. You know, in that context, we're talking about Lot, too, in Second Peter chapter 2. That's where it talks about Lot, being a just man, vexed his righteous soul with the wicked day in, day out. And yet, God knows how to deliver those godly out of temptations. But there's notice a third thing. The Lord is great in knowledge. Verse 7 again says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and He knoweth them that trust in Him. Notice that he knoweth them that trust in him. Uh, this speaks of to know, to regard, to respect, to understand. Uh, the word is used over, knowledge is used over in 1 Peter 3.17, Likewise, ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge. In other words, to know them, to regard them, to respect, to understand. Giving honor unto the wife as a weaker vessel. You know, Psalm 1.6 says, The Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And, and the word, word way uh, speaks of a path, a direction, a journey. So the Lord knows your way. He knows your direction. He knows your journey. He knows your path. He knows where you're headed. What is the way of the righteous? Well, it is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the path or the, the, the way to God. You know, Romans 10, 1-4, Paul says, Brother, in my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel that they might be saved, uh, for they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge, 
For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. See, Christ is the way to God. He is the path. He's the direction to God, you might say. So, the idea here that he knoweth the way, or regardeth, or respecteth, or understandeth the way of the righteous, is that he is good, he's a stronghold in trouble, and he knows us, he implies that he is a present help. Because he knows where you are. As wicked as Sodom was, God knew where he was. God knew where he was. As, as wicked as Sodom was, God knew where Lot was. God knew it. Psalm 46.1 God is our refuge and strength, a very present help. In other words, He knows where you are. You don't go somewhere that he doesn't know where you are. He knoweth the way that I take, Paul said. Or Job said. He knoweth the way that I take. Look at and look at I'm gonna look at Second Kings here, chapter three, verses nine through fourteen. I mentioned this the context of this passage, but I want you to notice something here. Second Kings three, it's, it's thinking about knoweth and 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 knowing the idea of regarding. He knows us and and he regards us because we are his. He he gives regard to us because we are his. Second Kings three, verse nine, and this is this is Moab has rebelled against Israel. Jehoshaphat has gone down and joined, you know, he's a joint affinity with Ahab and been helping Ahab's descendants, and so he goes down and helps the king of Israel. And verse 9 says, So the king of Israel went, and the king of Judah, and the king of Edom. They fetched a compass of seven days' journey, and there was no water for the host, for the cattle that followed them. And the king of Israel said, Alas, that the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them in the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not a prophet? Hear a prophet of the Lord, that we may inquire of the Lord by him. And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Here is Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him, and Elisha said unto the king of Israel, Notice this, What have I to do with thee? Get thee to the prophets of thy father and to the prophets of thy mother, and the king of Israel said unto him, Nay, for the Lord hath called these kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, I would not look toward thee nor see thee. See, the king of Israel we would say today, the king of Israel was an unsaved man. He was a wicked idolater. Jehoshaphat, though he should not have been joining affinity with him, was a saved man. And Elisha said, if it wasn't for Jehoshaphat, I wouldn't pay any attention to you at least. Go seek help from your false prophets. I wouldn't regard thee. I don't know thee. You're not one of God's children. 
See, the Lord knoweth them that trust in Him. You know, the king of Israel wasn't coming looking for salvation. He was just coming to look for deliverance out of his problem. See, God knows. He regards those that trust in Him. In Jeremiah 16, 17, For mine eyes are upon all their ways, they are not hid from my face. Neither is their iniquity hid from mine eyes. God says, I know all about you. I know about you. Second Timothy 2.19 Nevertheless, the foundation of God standing sure, standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. See, God regards, he knows, and he regards those that are his. God regarded Abraham. You know what he said to Pharaoh? He is a prophet. Restore to him his wife. He'll pray for you. And open the wombs of your wives. He's a prophet. See, God regarded Abraham. And God regarded Jehoshaphat. Why? Because Jehoshaphat was a servant of the Lord. He wasn't always obedient, but he was a servant of the Lord. Well, the king of Israel served idols, sacrificed babies. So the Lord knows. He knoweth. And he regards. Was it Jeremiah 33? He says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. See, God regards those that are his. The Lord knows. Do you know you are his? You know, you can master your real self before people. A lot of people wear masks nowadays. There's no mass with the Lord. You know, we have a good, we have a great God, a good God, a God of all power, of great power, a God of knowledge. He knows all about us. He knoweth that we are dust. He knoweth our frame. And James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down with the Father of lights, with him is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begot he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creature. You see, it was it was the Lord's will, it was God's will, it's God's desire to provide salvation for us. It is his will, it's his desire that we walk in the light of his word, and have the peace of God that accompanies that obedience. It is his will, his desire that we grow in our fellowship with him. He's good. He is great. This goodness, this power, this knowledge of us is magnitude and extent. It's intense. It's important. 
Philippians 1, 6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You know, if you are a child of God, God desires good for you. God desires that you know His power. God desires that you know Him in a closer relationship. And He's going to work to bring that to pass in your life until you go to be with the Lord. It'll never cease. Because though He's a God of justice and God of judgment, He is good. He is good. He's going to continue to work in your life. And those chips you have on your shoulder, He's going to keep working to knock them off. To make you a more pleasing, pleasant, kind, compassionate, goodlier person like himself. Like himself. Oh, we have a great God. And he knoweth. You know, it's comforting. It can be comforting or it can cause you concern to know that the Lord knows everything about you. He knoweth.